the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. Do the things I do because of my grandparents and my coach and my aunt and my uncle, all these kind of things that happened to me. Hey, God's got great compassion for the things that have happened to people. There's no question that some people in life have had it harder than others. No doubt about it. But we got to get to the place where we own our own responsibility and stop blaming our decisions and our choices and our lives on other people. We have to say, I want to be responsible for my life before God. Whatever happened in your past is wiped clean when you come to Jesus for salvation. He doesn't hold your past against you. Pastor Gary is going to show you today that you shouldn't look at your past either except to learn and give praise to God for all the good. The reason you make the choices you do every day shouldn't be because of something or someone that was bad in your past. You are responsible for those choices. Passing the blame only keeps you from the potential you have in God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, as he continues his message, The Theology of Responsibility. The one thing that God had warned them, don't eat of this one tree, they ate. And when God called them to account, he started with Adam. And I'm going to paraphrase the conversation. He said, Adam, what'd you do that for? And Adam said, well, the woman that you gave me, she's the one. You know, Lord, I'm not sure I was really into the whole thing anyway, but you said, you know, let's make a woman out of your side. It still hurts. You know what I'm saying to you, Lord? And And I was kind of opposed to the whole idea, but then I was just like, whoa, man, come on. And then you said, okay, let's name her that. And so, whoa, man, came along. And then she just messed me up. You know what I'm saying to you, Lord? She just messed me up. And by the way, you gave her to me. I mean, that's in Genesis chapter 3. He says to God, you, the one you gave to me. And so he blames shifts. And then God says to Eve, all right, what about you? And she's like, well... The serpent that you, you know, this serpent guy here, this serpent, the Satan, Satan, he just tempted me. And Satan is just there like. I got nobody else to blame. There's nobody around. And so it's not like this is new. Blame shifting has been going on since the Garden of Eden. We're all experts at it. There's a story in the Hamrick household that we like to tell every so once in a while. Do you have one of these stories in your family where you just like to bring it up every once in a while just to laugh at somebody in your family about it? You know, so friends, listen, if you can't laugh at yourself, 
laugh at other people. But anyways, <laughs> so there's this one story where we get together and we laugh at Tyler. Uh, he's sitting over here in the front row. And here's the story. Here's the story. We all laugh at each other for different reasons, but here's his story. So this is about 10 years ago when the kids were, were still teenagers living at home. And I had a little geo tracker that I bought from a guy on the street. And it was just a fun little car around town, had a soft top. And so I'd pull the whole top off when summer months would come. And so we all piled into the little geo tracker and we're on our way to the community swimming pool. And so Terry was up in the front with me, three kids squished in the back. Okay, all teenagers. Now, before we left the house, Terry had given Tyler a brand new pair of flip flops. You know the story, right, Tyler? All right, he knows the story because we remind him every once in a while. Uh, Gave him a brand new pair of flip-flops, really nice. Hey, thanks, Mom. Love the flip-flops. Jump in the car. Off to the pool we go. When we got to the pool, because the top was off of the tracker, he decided, I'm going to just jump off the side of the car instead of, you know, going through the door. Why bother? There's no top. I'm going to jump off the side. And when he jumped off the side, the front flap of his new flip-flop caught on the edge, the rim of the side of the car, and he tumbled out and spilled out. And we're all looking at him, and he gets up, and he says, thanks a lot, Mom. (laughs) And we're like, what? Thanks a lot, Mom. If you hadn't given me these flip-flops, I would not have fallen out of the car. So that's our fun story with Tyler. Give him a hand, everybody. That's our fun fun story for Tyler. And so... To this day, we're like, remember when you fell out of the car and you blame mom for giving you the flip-flops? But we're all experts at this. This is the kind of thing that we do. And if we don't blame somebody, we will make excuses for ourselves. And we'll talk about our parents and we'll talk about our family of heritage and we'll make excuses for ourselves. We'll say things like, well, you know, I am the way I am because my mom never really gave me any hugs. Our mom wasn't around, dad wasn't around, dad was a drinker, you know, and so, or we'll say things about our own heritage. Well, the reason I drink a little too much is because I'm Irish. You know how the Irish are, you know? You know how, oh, it's magically delicious, you know? And so we have drinkers because we're Irish. Where I know I have a temper, but I'm Italian. That's just the way Italians are. I know I'm cheap because that's the way Scots are. I'm Scottish, you know? And so we say these kinds of things. I know I'm irritable, but that's because I got some low blood sugar. I just need to eat some food. And so on and on it goes. And we love to make excuses. And we love to blame. Benjamin Franklin once said, quote, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. A journalist by the name of Sidney J. Harris, who died many years ago, he said, quote, we have not passed that subtle line between childhood and adulthood until we move from the passive voice to the active voice. That is, until we have stopped saying it got lost and say, I lost it. His point is well taken. He said, you know, kids talk in passive tense. It got lost. I don't know. But adults own it. Should. We should say, I lost it. It's the difference between a childhood and adulthood. The idea of taking responsibility for something. See, the sociology of responsibility basically says today, it's not your fault. Blame somebody else. That's just false. The psychology of responsibility says if you take responsibility, it empowers you. If you blame others, you victimize yourself. Well, there's some truth to that. But the theology of responsibility says every person is accountable to God for his or her own life, period. Every person is accountable to God for his or her own life. This is what chapter 3 is about here in Ezekiel. 
Notice in verse 17, where God starts out by saying to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, notice there in verse 17, he addresses Ezekiel as son of man. That is also, by the way, a title for Jesus more than 80 times throughout the Gospels. But that is a messianic title. That's why Jesus uses it about himself in the Gospels. In this usage here in the book of Ezekiel, it's really God just simply saying to Ezekiel, you are a man among men. You are a representative of the people. He refers to Ezekiel as son of man 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. You are son of man. You are a representative of the people to speak on my behalf to warn the people about their sins, which is why God calls him there in verse 17, a watchman. He says, I have made you a watchman. Circle that word watchman. Now, a watchman back in the day was one who stood guard on the top of the city wall. At some point in the city wall or in the tower of the city wall, in order to alert people, to sound a warning regarding any approaching danger from without or any problem from within. And so God uses the term figuratively. He says to Ezekiel, you're a spiritual watchman. In effect, what I want you to do is I want you to sound the alarm. I want you to warn people that you live with and that you work with, that you love, that I love. I want you to warn them that if they continue in their sin, they're going to be responsible. They're going to be held accountable. And so warn them, do your part. And so Ezekiel was tasked with one objective, to sound a warning to those who are perishing with the hope that they would listen, turn, and be saved. And in fact, God even says to Ezekiel, I'm going to hold you personally responsible for your part. And your part is, I want you to sound the warning. And if you don't sound the warning, you're going to be accountable for your part in that. He says, now the people are responsible to me in regards to their relationship with me, but you're going to be responsible to me also in regards to your relationship with me. And if I tell you to warn people and you don't warn them, okay, I'll deal with them separately, but I'm also going to hold you responsible for not obeying me either. And so in here in chapter three, verses 18 and 19, God basically says, if you don't warn the wicked man of his wicked ways, and he still stays in his wickedness, okay, he's going to die for his wickedness, but I'm going to hold you responsible for not warning him. At the same time, if you do warn him and he stays in his wickedness, you've done your part and I'll deal with him separately. And then in verses 20 and 21, God talks about the righteous. And he says, listen, if a righteous man forsakes his righteousness, And you don't warn him. You're both responsible individually. You know, Ezekiel was not responsible for the righteousness or the wickedness of the people. Ezekiel was just responsible for his own relationship with God to do what God told him to do. And God was going to deal separately with either the wicked or the righteous because of their responsibility that they had towards him. In other words, the wicked man will die for his wickedness. The righteous man would live for his righteousness. And Ezekiel, you better do your part to warn them. That's the summary there of chapter 3. And basically, there are three quick points I want to make about the theology of responsibility. And the first one is what I've already stated, that every person is accountable to God for his or her own life. Now, if that concerns you, because you know that you, like everyone else in this room, have said some things and done some things and thought some things that are pretty wicked, well, here's the good news. The good news is that God wants every single one of us to take responsibility for our sin. For our sinful condition, our sinful practices, our sinful thoughts, he wants us to take responsibility to own our sin. But the good news is that he has provided a way 
through Jesus for us not to have to suffer the consequences for our sin. You see, he wants us to take responsibility for it. You know the idea behind the word confess your sins before the Lord. The whole literal meaning behind the word confess simply means to agree with God. It's basically agreeing with God's evaluation of the condition of humanity. That mankind is fallen. We are all sinful. None of us is perfect. We fall short of the standard of God. And if we would acknowledge that and agree with God and then confess, in other words, acknowledge our sinful condition before God, agree with God, and then receive from Him the free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, then we own our sin, but we don't have to suffer the consequences for it. Because the penalty intended for us was placed on Jesus on the cross. Listen, this is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now listen to that again. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. The wages of sin. What are wages? Wages are payments. It's something that we've earned. It's payment for something that we've earned. The idea behind that verse is the wages of sin is death. You have earned something as a result of your sinful life. There's a pension plan for sinners. It's called death. That's what it means. The wages of sin is death. You've earned something over the course of your life. And the pension plan is death. But, the rest of the verse, but the gift of God, all right? A gift versus wages. Wages are something that you earn, something you deserve. A gift is something you haven't earned, don't deserve. It's freely given. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the one hand, what I deserve is death because of my sin. What I get, not because I deserve it or earned it, is a free gift if I trust Christ for my sins. That He is the Savior who died for my sins. And I confess and I agree with God. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I'm sorry. And then I receive from Him the free gift of eternal life. So that's the good news. But every person is accountable to God for his or her own life. Second good news is this. No one is responsible for the sins of his or her parents. Now, some of you may say, well, I know that. But do you? Because I know a lot of people who believe that they are destined to repeat the sins of their parents, or at the very least are defined by the sins of their parents. Neither is true. God addresses this in chapter 18. Would you turn quickly in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 18? The same theme is addressed in chapter 18 as well. And in chapter 18, I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Ezekiel writes, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, This is the word from God in Ezekiel 18, verse 2. What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, underline, as I live, verse 3, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Now, your attention, the idea of proverb here in this passage is not like the book of Proverbs in your Bibles, where you have wonderful, godly truisms that are given to us to help us in our life. Okay, that's the book of Proverbs. The word proverb is used here in the sense of just, this is a common saying. This is something that's been repeated long enough and often enough by so many people that you've begun to believe something and God is saying it isn't true and I want you to stop saying it. I want you to stop saying it. Now, by the way, this whole 
proverb here, this saying about the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This is not the first time we read this. First time we read of it is back in the book of Jeremiah. You don't need to turn, but it's chapter 31. It's very interesting. In Jeremiah 31, God says to the prophet Jeremiah the same thing. I want you to say to the people of Judah, stop saying this. What's interesting, again, Jeremiah is prophesying at the same time as Ezekiel, just in two different locations, which emphasizes the importance of this because God takes time through Jeremiah to say to the Jews in Judah, and he takes time through Ezekiel to say to the Jews in Babylon who were there in captivity, the same thing. He says, I want you to say this across the board in both locations. Stop saying this. Now, what is this saying and what does it mean? Fathers have eaten sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on edge. It's a statement that basically would translate like this. Because our parents ate sour grapes, we tasted the tartness in our mouth. In other words, because of the choices our parents made, we're suffering for it. God says, I want you to stop saying that. You have to be responsible for your own life. You can no longer blame mom or dad, and you cannot believe the lie that what mom or dad did, you are destined to repeat, because every person is individually accountable and responsible to God. So God says, as I live, there in verse 3, NIV says, as surely as I live, it's an oath. It's a statement of an oath. God is saying, I swear by my name, this shall not be uttered anymore in Israel, because God knew the damage that it was causing. That people were shirking responsibility because they were saying, well, I am the way I am because of mom and dad. And I do the things I do because of my grandparents and my coach and my aunt and my uncle. All these kind of things that happened to me. Hey, God's got great compassion for the things that have happened to people. There's no question that some people in life have had it harder than others. No doubt about it. But we got to get to the place where we own our own responsibility and stop blaming our decisions and our choices and our lives on other people. We have to say, I want to be responsible for my life before God. And irrespective of what happened in the past, I'm no longer going to blame other people. Now, where did the Jewish people get this from? I'll tell you where they got it from. It was a distortion of the second commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, as part of the commandment about no idols, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, God said to them, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Now, stop right there. That's where they stopped reading it. And the Jewish people assumed that means that God's going to visit the iniquity of my father upon me, third and fourth generations, so I'm destined to repeat what daddy did. Okay? Now, first of all, they stopped reading it. Because he said, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations for those who hate me. That's the rest of the verse. Not for people who love God, for people who hate God. The spillover effect of iniquity in a household will happen and will affect a singular household. By the way, this has been translated in modern terms to something that you also ought to rid from your vocabulary, generational curses. Get rid of that. It's the same philosophy. It's the same bad, wrong philosophy. Why? The third and fourth generation in Hebrew times lived under one roof. God is not saying this is something that is perpetually handed down from generation to generation. He's saying the residual effect within one household when one father is wicked before God will be, there's going to be a nurturing effect within that household. 
But the rest of the verse says, but he will give mercy to a thousand generations. That's verse 6 of Exodus chapter 20. But he will give mercy to a thousand generations for them that love him. And so that is a round number basically saying the greater impact of a life that loves God will be felt in successive generations more so than the family that hates God. So stop thinking to yourself or believing this lie that what your parents did, you're destined to repeat. That what was done to you will now be done by you. It's the whole victim becomes the victimizer and the abused becomes the abuser mentality. That you are bound to your past, that you are a product of your environment. Listen, friends, in Christ, you are a new creation. Stop saying that proverb in its various modern forms. You are a new creature in Christ. Now, I get it. I'm not denying that environment shapes a person. Who raised you and how you were raised can play either a positive or a negative role in your development. And some people get a better head start than others, and some people have more to overcome than others. All I'm saying is this, that if you believe in the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead then why should you think anything less concerning the power of God to transform a life? God transforms lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The second birth is greater than the first. The spiritual birth is more dominant than the physical birth. In Christ, the power of your spiritual heritage is greater than the influence of your natural parentage. I'm going to close by quickly giving you point number three. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but wants all to turn from sin and turn to Him. This is important to understand because in relation to the whole idea of responsibility, we're responsible to God, we're accountable to God. Know His heart. He doesn't want any to perish. Go to Ezekiel chapter 33, one last verse, quickly in your Bibles, Ezekiel 33, verse 11, or you can just listen as I read it. But God specifically emphasizes this point. Ezekiel 33, verse 11, say to them, he says to Ezekiel, say to them, as long as I live, again, he's starting with an oath, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? That's Ezekiel 33, 11. Do you hear the heart of God there? He's pleading, turn, please, turn, please, please, please. But we have to take responsibility. We have to do the turning. See, the heart of God is for all people to turn to Him. This is why Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. That's God's heart for us. But repentance takes responsibility. It is owning my sin, my mistakes, not blaming others or making excuses, and then turning to God. At some point, you have to stop the blame game. You have to stop the victim game. You have to stop all the games. And you have to begin to realize, I am responsible for my life before God. As the language suggests in the word itself, responsibility, response, Ability. It is the ability to choose a response that no longer blames others or makes excuses for my actions or my life. 
and then to respond to God's mercy with humility and repentance. Amen. The radio broadcast of Cornerstone Connection comes to you from Cornerstone Chapel, located in Leesburg, Virginia. You heard Pastor Gary teach from the book of Ezekiel, one of the many prophets in Old Testament times. This book gives us a good glimpse of the seriousness of sin to God. We have a tendency to minimize the severity of sin in our lives, but not so with God. He wants us to recognize sin for the evil it is. Maybe like me, you've found yourself believing that sin is no big deal or that some sin is worse than others. Sin is sin in God's eyes, and when we refuse to address the sin present in our own hearts, He, as our righteous judge and authority, will deal with our sin according to His perfect wisdom. Friends, let's us confess our sin and turn to Jesus. Did you enjoy today's message? We hope so. Be sure to take the time to hear more messages from Pastor Gary. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to get started. While you're there, check out our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. Don't miss out on this amazing resource to dive deeper into God's Word. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.